Cool. You know what? We probably don't even need to do an intro manually to these podcasts. We should probably at some point just record something really witty and, and, and yeah. awesome, you know? Yeah. Maybe yeah. we'll, maybe we'll, we'll, you know, get, get, are you dating anybody? We can get your girlfriend to go, welcome to the blah, blah podcast with Eric okay. and Kevin. Well, she's your girlfriend. So with Kevin and Eric and <laughs> I'm dating someone, but why, why doesn't your wife do it? Oh, because she doesn't she doesn't want any kind of public exposure she's she's like no you can't let's hear me you know it's the the i don't like the sound of my voice thing oh okay and so oh. yeah you wouldn't do it oh yeah but she says my dog will so oh wow but yeah we'll, we can go. record something like terribly interesting and and, and be like you know hey <laughs> hey well, we'll see. I mean, I'm sure that my girlfriend would. Well, I'm, I wouldn't call her for my. Yeah, I guess I would and I wouldn't. I don't know. Uh-huh. We've been dating since you're, the first. Oh, that's week right. Of, you're 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 over the age of forty, so now it's your lava. <laughs> no, I, I. The reason I I don't mean it's strange because we've been seeing each other since first week of November, so uh-huh. it's been going on for a while now. But you know, I got to tell you that post marriage. Um, Dating is it's an it's a completely different animal, and it's mm-hmm. really, um, it's just everything's changed. <clears throat> I mean, yeah. in, in in you know, like two and a half months, I'm going to be fifty. So uh-huh. everything's different, and well, well, know, well feels... yeah. Let's 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 dive into that. What's different? Oh, where do I start? I mean. Well, here's something that I've figured out, and and it makes sense to me. I don't know if it would make sense anywhere else with anyone with anyone that hasn't gone through this, and maybe people who have gone through it, maybe it wouldn't make sense. But mm-hmm. so the beginning of my last relationship that you know had lasting <laughs> staying power, which was my marriage, right? Right. Uh, I was 24 when I started dating her. So right. the last time that, you know, I began dating someone, I had the sensibility of a 24 year old. Right. So in starting a new relationship and starting in dating again, I'm starting at those earliest stages with women who are in their forties, uh-huh. you know, mostly, you know, mid to late forties. And it's just an unusual situation because it feels like my instincts in starting a relationship are just off they just you know it's it took me a while to kind of to kind of draw a beat on what it was and i finally decided i'm there's a part of me that's still a 24 year old in a way entering into these relationships and it's not because i'm incapable of being an adult i mean i can take care of myself i can take care of my daughter i can you know, hold down a full-time job. I, all these things that, I mean, I guess I could have done when I was 24, but, you know, I wasn't as prepared to do them. Right. It's it's different now because my life is compartmentalized into how I see things or how I approach things based on, um, you know, what it is I'm doing. When I'm dealing with students and when I'm dealing with the work that they're doing and I'm assessing it and grading it and stuff, 
I am the age that I am. I'm in my late 40s. I have a, a lot of experience to draw from in teaching and in dealing with students that do all kinds of stuff. Stupid shit. Right. Um, defiant shit. Um, sloppy shit. I've got to whatever. imagine, though, that there's some kind of advantage to the age just because, you know, uh, it's almost a cliche, but when you're younger, you're an idiot. I mean, you know, I, I feel much more, I don't know, emotionally in control of myself now than I was then. Uh, well, I agree with that in, you know, fundamentally, but like I say, it's the compartmentalization of my life. So I feel in control of some things emotionally, but when I sit down across from someone, I don't have a frame of reference on meeting someone in the context of a date. Um, at this age and the other thing is that goes along with that they think the things that kind of go hand in hand is that like 90% of the women that I've met um, have been married before oh, so they're that's divorced good. That's so good. yeah well Wait, it is I, it, I'm just like listening to all this thinking I, I can see the uncomfortableness of going into a date and it's just like you know, you, you, you're thinking is, yeah, come on, I'm. this isn't like when I was 20 and the expectations were, you know, a lot different. I can be a grown-up right. about it. But if she's never been married, yeah, that would probably be really crazy. Yeah, I mean, but the thing is that ha having been married before, which is, you know, it's, it's a good thing in its own way, Being having been married before creates a different issue because you are in um, this what is supposed to be a permanent relationship with someone uh, and you get into habits. The two of you form habits together as a married couple. So when that ends, you kind of hold on to those habits and then you have two people who have different sets of habits. Whereas when I got married, we didn't have any hard formed habits to the point that we couldn't pliably work with each other to figure out what our habits as a married couple were going to be. Yeah. So I don't know how much, other people experience the same thing, but I get the sense that at least some people do because one of the things that you see all the time if you go on a dating site or a dating app, people, or I, I should say the, the women because I don't know what the men say, but <laughs> the women there say in their profile stuff like, why is this so hard? This shouldn't be so hard. I'm looking God, for my – Really? Oh, yeah. Because yeah, I mean, that... you're crazy. That's why. Well, <laughs> I think actually I maybe not. No, no. It's like, what's the old thing that uh, women are crazy because men are morons? It's like, yeah, it's something like that. Or well, women are evil because men are stupid. It, it was something where I was yeah. like, yeah, that makes sense. But well, yeah, but you know, my the, wife the and I, we that... met on one of those dating sites. But the only reason it worked is because both of us had given up. Both of us were like, ah, fuck this. I'm going to go for broke and actually be honest and kind of abrasive. And, uh, and some people like, are that awesome. way. Yeah, some people are that way, but a lot of people are just stymied by it, mm. you know, because I think that they take it the same way that I perceived it, which was I've been through a marriage. I have some life experience. This shouldn't be that difficult. And, oh, look, here is this dating site, right? where you can pick out a lot of things that you want or don't want and you can filter the results so you know that you're going to avoid certain things that you say okay these are deal breakers mm -hmm. so 
you know, you just knock those people out of the equation right off the bat. But it's also artificial, and it, it's just complicated. It's just flat out complicated, and I'm not perceptive enough about. I mean, I think I'm pretty damn perceptive overall, and the things that I have determined that I feel pretty confident I've kind of hit the nail on the head about. It doesn't account for everything. Um, and somebody said to me that, well, if you're if you're ostensibly looking for a relationship that would last, because you know I'm not interested in dating someone for four months and then moving on to someone else as as a you know way of life. That's not really what I want to do. I'm not dying to be married again, and I don't know. The only reason I would get married is if I had a good reason to get married mm -hmm. again, right? But, um, you know, if somebody pointed out to me that if I was looking for a relationship that had the potential to last the rest of my life, or the rest of the other person's life, that, you know, it's not going to be like there are that like 30% of the people that turn up in search results are likely candidates for it. There are all the mm -hmm. little bitty things that you can't, you know, quite measure that make that can make a world of difference. Mm -hmm. For for whatever reason, I don't know, but there, there are you know just a lot of those things. So it's that and and uh, well, you read the my my book, The Attachment Race, right? Yeah. Okay, so that that was inspired by dating sites and dating apps, even though it's not a direct take on them. The nugget of the idea that started it, where you have people in this three-hour time period that they have to meet somebody to spend the rest of their lives with, or that's it, you know, mm -hmm. it was like the sort of clinical fashion that you have dating sites and dating apps and right. the way that they work. It's very clinical. So I had the clinical sense of that in the attachment race, even though the the book is about a lot of other things too, and it's set in the future and it's a completely different situation and that people are being forced off the planet because there's there's no room left so somebody has right. to leave somebody has which to which i find off. is actually a, a great irony the idea that okay there's too many people uh we've got to clear people off the planet let's make sure you can hook up first it's like that was the <laughs> problem in the first place i, that, I i'm that's... always saying most all of our problems would be solved if People would just put a rubber on it. We have too many people. We can stop, yeah. you know? That was meant to be part of the unspoken irony. And I struggled with, do I do I make passing reference to it? But I thought, nah, if I do, it's like I don't want to point to it too much. I just kind of decided I'd leave it alone. And if people decide that that's what they're taking away from it, then great. And, this is um, good because I the, the reason I had actually said, yeah, we should do this thing on – what's wrong with art that was you know the the subject i thought we agreed with it's one of my problems with art is usually the uh, the artist who says i am now going to make this statement i'm going to make this this piece, you know this piece of art this statue this you know enormous granite meaningful yeah. haha kind of thing and it sucks because yeah. they go into it going i'm going to make this meaningful thing and it, 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 when you go in saying no i'm going to make an entertainment if there's something in there that is of you know that says something more than just the entertainment hooray but you know that right. it's my problem with a lot of art it's like the the, the people who do stuff really well 
um, I, I they can they can end up making art when they're just trying to entertain, you know. But yeah, well, I I hear what you're when saying. When you like set out with that thing, I I think Aaron Sorkin runs into that problem a lot. He's had yeah. moments where he has made something that was, you know, entertaining and became art. But in recent years, he's one of these people who's like, okay, I'm going to take meaning and I'm going to bash you over the head with it. And it's yeah. a drag. Yeah. Well, you know, I agree with that uh, for the most part. And I, I, I agree with that for me. I don't sit down and try to write something that has a message in it. Um, the one time that I wrote a piece of material when I was hired to write the adaptation for the Sacco and Benzetti book, and I, I, I knew that there was um, um, a message in that about uh, the xenophobic nature of you know, what, what we can see in this country when, when people get scared, right? Right. And I felt like the screenplay was, was never going to meet the potential that I felt that it had because I set out to write it that way. And since then, everything that I've written, I've, just, I've been writing – to tell stories and I know that the themes will be there because I'm in touch with all the other elements and the themes will be there because the characters I spend time on developing those and making them as genuine as, as I can and having them have real concerns the way that we came up learning to do it but at the same time I would say that there are some writers like for example I recently reread Vonnegut's uh, God Bless You Mr. Rosewater right um, and of course, in that he talks to, repeatedly and directly about the class system in the United States. Right. And the main character, Elliot Rosewater, is from an incredibly wealthy family. And as the administrator of the family's foundation, it's entirely up to him. And he cannot be, he cannot be vetoed or even second-guessed. If he makes the decision that a certain amount of money goes to an individual in need, then it, then it does. And right. um, he, much to the chagrin of his father, a senator who's very conservative and doesn't feel like the people at the bottom have worked hard enough to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, his right. son is giving away money left and right. And the beauty of the way that it's written is the beauty of what Vonnegut does with all of his things. It's the idiosyncrasy in the characters it's the absurd nature of the characters he has one sequence that takes place in a small town in rhode island and um it's gorgeous because the the characters are by their nature um very unusual um it reminds me a little bit of uh gore vidal's duluth mm. um well and, the, and that's another thing i mean what we're talking about you know, in order to make, you know, art from entertainment, you've got mm -hmm. to be a real craftsman. And, you know, between yeah. Gore Vidal and uh, Kurt Vonnegut, I mean, you know, you're hard pressed to come up with something, someone more right. of a craftsman than these two. It's, right. it's like, I mean, yeah, that's kind of the level you're at when you can do it. I, yeah. I, I, I guess I mean more like, the stories you tell me of your students who come in saying, okay, I'm now going to right off the bat earn an Academy Award with this thing. Here goes. And yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's boop. There, there is um, an element, I think, of um, 
there are a lot of attempts to write material that is uh, it's so self-conscious yeah um, and I think it's natural enough well it, it it's like I think that it's it's people who have high aspirations which is great it's also an example of people who are inexperienced yeah. and um, I think that one of the important things that that writers who start out being brought along well are are brought along with simple straightforward views of very character driven just you know basic emotions and yeah. the reason that the characters are feeling or dealing with whatever emotions vary they don't have to be these world shaking things it's it's a little bit like that book that i or books that i recommended recommended to you the john dufresne books which uh treat even the relatively seemingly relatively common issues that people can face um as things that will engage a reader or engage an audience in whatever form the writing is in um, because they are genuine connections with people and they're crafted well and it starts with a simple set of uh, criteria by which you define the way that the material will be composed and presented to a reader for consumption mm -hmm. so but it's uh, <laughs> it's tough because because you know I think that there are the well-worn categories that people fall into when they decide they that they want to write something or they want to create something. Right. So for for writing, and I see a lot of this in the um, self-published author indie author groups where people are talking about. Not so much the craft of writing. In fact, not at all about the craft of writing, but about yeah. promoting and marketing. And yeah. so many of these people Like they've got all are... that quality shit covered, so don't right, worry right. about Which, that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there, there's no literary fiction going on in there. There's none. There's just none. Yeah. And it's all genre fiction. And it's all very – it's all the sort of tired tropes um, that – I know from having taught writing for such a long time, there is this illusion of originality with tired tropes yeah. that have been done over and over and over again, and yet they you, you put them in a cocktail shaker and you shake it up a few times, and oh, it's a brand new concoction. Right. And you know, like Tarantino does. Yeah. Well, yeah. he's gotten better over time. I have to give him credit for some of the things that you know he he went on to do. Later, but the I idea mean, that he he will take a genre and he will you know sort of recreate yeah. it. It's like I'm I want to do what he does. Well, right. Jesus, who doesn't? I think, right. I think the and difference is he he knows so much about everything going on in that genre that he's picked. That oh, he's watched everything. He's watched yeah, everything. I mean, I, I don't know anyone who who even heard the term macaroni combat film until he made Inglorious Bastards. Right. He, he right. knows that shit in and out before he does it. Yeah, he does. He does. And this and the students don't know what they have is they have a very it's interesting because uh, my friend 
Patrick, who runs the creative writing program at Chandler Gilbert. Um, he and I talk pretty frequently. And um, since we both have experience teaching creative writing, we have on many occasions talked about that process. And sometimes we talk about the frustration of that because it, it can be frustrating when you feel like there is a distinct lack of, um, you know, uh, progress and you're trying to figure out why aren't the students engaging more with the exercises or the work or the assignments that they, they've been given to do and he pointed out that for the fiction students because he's teaching fiction that's his mm -hmm. that's his area the fiction students he said they don't read and they don't have yeah. an interest in reading and he, he said maybe maybe a quarter of the class will read uh, electively and he said the rest don't. They just want to write, you know, books, yeah. and and they don't have the, you know, they don't have the experience of having read writing. And he's telling them the whole time. He's saying you've got to read, you've got to read, you've got to read, read mm -hmm. this, read that, read, read in the areas you want to write, read outside the areas that you think you want to write, read something in a genre you don't think you'd ever want to read in, just to see what the writer did with the material. Um, right. And he he gives them these uh, very short pieces of fiction. Um, there's a very short story, one of them, very short story by David Foster Wallace, and I've forgotten what it's called. It's a very short story. It's a very short story by Gabriel, uh, Gabriel, um, uh, uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Right. Um, very short story. I mean, you're talking like four pages long and some of them don't do the reading still. And it, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's sad. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, it's, um, it's something that I don't, get what, what that. can you do? I don't get I, that. I, I mean, it's like you, you, if if you want to how can i put that if you want to write a book it must be yeah. because you understand how good books can be and you want to add to it if you well don't I, understand books why would you want to write one why wouldn't you do something else i don't think it's that i think what they understand is they understand the concept of having a book that's published that sells yeah. and you get money for it and your name is on the cover and it's in a bookstore Right. That's what I think they understand. I don't think they have the same level of understanding of the power of what a book does for a reader when it really reaches right. a reader. It, that's something that they may have a basic awareness of it in the sense that they know that some people love to read. Well, if they love to read, there must be a reason. It's an enjoyable experience. And it stops there. Um Beyond that, I can't say because I'm not in that position and I don't really get that. It was the same thing with uh, the screenwriting students at BU and some of the ones that uh, – actually quite a few of them at Chandler Gilbert. They didn't really want to watch movies. Yeah. Um, or they wanted to only watch the movies that they wanted to watch. You know, and It was the constant thing. I got so tired every single semester at the very beginning – I had to say to them, look, you know, I'm not picking movies to entertain you. That's yeah. up to you to do. I'm picking movies to teach. 
and these movies are intended to put across a certain lesson. And every now and again, I get a student saying, why do we have to watch this? And I say, oh, you've got it all wrong. You don't have to watch this at all. There's the door. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, um, I, I – and, and so I made more and more of a point of it on the first day of class to saying I don't even want to hear why do we have to watch this or yeah. can we watch such and such? Because I'm going to remind you this moment and I'm going to tell you, you know, drop the class because obviously you're not interested mm -hmm. in, in learning this. You're interested in watching movies that you've already seen to do what? I so. mean, I do wonder if uh, – no, I don't wonder. Well, let me put it a different way. It's, it, it's that they don't have a very well-developed palate, you know. It's like, I don't want to watch a movie that I'm not going to enjoy. I want to learn how to write a screenplay. Well, yeah, but you need to learn, I guess, again, from people who really know what they're doing in order yeah. for you to start learning to know what you're doing. I think of it like if you go to chef school and you're like, can we make can we make PBJs again? I really like peanut butter and jelly. Like, well, I think it's also that they have a short attention a span. More than that, but yeah. you know, I, just, I just really want to do that. Well, they have a short attention span, too. Yeah. You know, so it's like, it, you know, if it's a movie they don't enjoy, then they're not going to have the stamina, the, the focus, stamina of the focus to, uh, you know, get through it. And, yeah. but I, I did what I could. <clears throat> and um, on that note, I guess we should say our goodbyes and yeah let's sew it up this is almost a half hour hit of a, uh, gripping entertainment and it, I it's think been amazing art, yeah we've achieved artistry with our amazing third abortive attempt at a podcast so we must be really goddamn good at this you know episode zero podcast is yeah. in the books yet again suck my Maybe ass time Mark, Marin. we're we're way better at this than you yeah <laughs> who's that no. Who's that? Mark What was Marin? the name you said? Mark Marin. Uh, Mark Marin. You got to WTF. You got to you got to check it out. It's a great podcast. All right. Well, I have I'm still Next next time I'll I'll do the Here's all the podcasts I love podcast. Okay. We'll get that sounds super good. meta. As as Deadpool said, that's breaking the fourth wall inside of a broken fourth wall. That's like 16 walls. <laughs> Oh boy, can we can 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 mass media get more self-referential? I don't think so. <laughs> I think it's impossible. Yeah. You know. All but, right. Uh, so, all right. So this is episode zero. Episode, episode zero, zero. The third episode of zero. Episode zero of episode yeah. zero. Indeed. S yeah. So we're Look signing for us off. on iTunes and try and figure out that number scheme. Exactly. Okay. Take take care, world. Ciao, ciao.